so if you could just say a little bit about your background and you know uh, how you got how you got started in the game industry. Yeah, I so the thing about my career is that I'm pretty close to the beginning of my game audio career, professionally speaking, in a number of different ways. But then, kind of at the same time, I've done a lot with music and I guess plenty with games throughout my whole life, kind of generally speaking. No, who? Well, I don't know how many musicians are going to be listening to this, but like a lot of musicians, I started. I was very young. Um, in elementary school, I started playing the viola, and then I was lucky enough to go to a high school that was a fine arts high school. So it was also kind of a weirdly long high school experience. So from the sixth grade through the twelfth grade, I was actually at one school uh, called Davidson Fine Arts in Augusta, Georgia, and I picked up the piano while I was there. And then I started teaching myself how to write music and started teaching myself. Uh, super young there, I actually happened to befriend uh, one of my best friends, who's actually still one of my best friends to this day. And he games and interested in game programming. So he learned a lot about programming and we'd kind of work together designing these different like, most of which didn't really go anywhere, but by the time I was in college, I was at the University of Georgia studying viola performance and classical music composition. Opportunity to, well, actually, I was at UGA, but I was able to get in contact with some people from this thing called the Red Bull Music Academy, which is like this international music program, which I can talk a little bit more about later. But I ended up working with that programmer that I just mentioned and some of his friends to create essentially a crowd-controlled music-based video game that I showed in Madrid, Spain as part of this academy. And then that is relevant because it actually kind of came up again because I ended up transferring to the Berklee College of Music and the chair of my department, the electronic production and design department for students to participate in this so I actually worked with the same team to create something that I showed at MIT. And then that helped me make a connection essentially with my department and with the chair. And that led to me doing my first sort of big official project, which was the like a music system and the soundtrack and sound design for a neuroscience video game called iWire, which is sort of which was vaguely affiliated with MIT and is now vaguely affiliated with Princeton. But uh, so that's kind of my first kind of big thing. And then alongside that or kind of beside that, I was doing video game music stuff there and I made, you know, different kinds of connections, which eventually led to me moving to Seattle and getting some work on Rec Room. And then kind of along the way, I've done different kind of smaller projects, et cetera, et cetera. And we can go into detail about that later. All right. Fantastic. So, um you know, let's talk a little bit um, about some of that uh, initial, like, touches into music and, um, um, you know, that initial elementary school. You know, did they, uh, were you prompted to pick up an instrument or, you know, did you pick it up by yourself? Did you, were you saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to go grab that one? Especially, you know, the viola not being uh, such a, how can I say, a first chair sort of uh, instrument. That's actually a really hilarious story. I was in the fourth grade, fourth, third, fourth, I don't even really remember. But 
for whatever reason, you know, these music musical people came to school and had these like sign up sheets and was like, hey, does anybody want to play an instrument like learn to play an instrument? Um, I guess it was some kind of arts outreach thing where people would come to the school and actually give people lessons for free, essentially. And so I got this little sign up sheet and I they had, I think, violin, viola and cello. And I was like, oh, I want to play the violin. But then my father actually ended up buying me a viola. He had no you know, idea that this was what he was doing. So <laughs> on the first day, it's so hilarious. So on the first day of like these lessons, the professor, the instructor is like going around tuning everyone's instrument. And then she plucks the strings on mine and she's like, oh, yours is a viola. All right, whatever. And so I play viola. Wow. <laughs> it just it's just uh, like yeah, oh man, man that c string that c string though uh ironically though i actually like came to learn that lots of composers play viola and i think people like sort of theorize that it has to do with like instrument for a composer because you get to know like the middle lines and all these kinds of things and i guess i would agree with that but I mean, it's really whatever to me. Like, I love playing viola. I have no desire to switch to violin or cello. And I've loved whatever. Like, uh, yeah, that's that. But sort of less stupid. I, <laughs> I told you I went to that school of fine arts. And so I was able to keep playing viola, like in the orchestral program there and stuff like that. And I actually ended up picking the piano because... My mother noticed that whenever I was around a piano, incidentally, for any reason, I would always like mess around with it and try to play things on it. So for one birthday, she bought me a keyboard and I was really excited about that. And I like helped to start learning like video game music and stuff. And then I basically enrolled in the piano classes at my school. And I mean, so at this at this point in in high school, then so you're you're starting to play a little piano. You're starting to, you know, uh, um, you know, you have already some of the basis of the viola. So really giving you a broad range. Um, like, how did you incorporate that into your writing of of your pieces? Like, how were some of those initial pieces that you started going at? So let's see. So I guess something that's important to mention that I can't believe I haven't mentioned yet is when I was in middle school and high school, I obviously was playing a lot of video games time. And like, eventually I got to this point where I really wanted to listen to music on the computer, but I had a really bad internet connection, downloading video game music MIDI files. And then uh, one day, it kind of occurred to me that like, oh, I think I want to learn to make MIDI files on a computer. And I was like, wait a minute, music for the rest of my life. That's what I want my career to be. So I made that choice at like 13 years old. Um, Good investment. Yeah. Great investment. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, I think, you know, I can't really remember when I started writing music on the piano, but like, um, Kind of like sort of watching the keyboard play things in different ways and i liked learning music that way and i liked learning to play video game music and then i had kind of decided that i wanted to write stuff original question are you asking how the piano kind of fit into my electronic music stuff or yeah in other words um you know what th th that transition well you said midi music so obviously 
that is what kind of got you to start writing. So that transition uh, from like playing an instrument to writing it, uh, to writing music is a very different animal. Oh, sure, sure. Um, well, the thing is, or one of the things, and I may have lost track of the question again, so I'll circle back around if this is totally useless. But one of the things about writing, well, okay. So the thing about, let me see if I can figure out how to phrase this. Music, playing the piano, and we'll, I don't know how much you know about electronic music writing and electronic music production, but first of all, if you want to write music on the computer, learn to play the piano. Like, I'll explain this later, but just do it. It's just, just learn to play the piano. It's very important. The better you can play the piano, I think the easier your life will be. It's not required, but it's highly recommended. And but, also, um, just to hit students up real quick on, um, so MIDI is a, um, uh, what do you call a, a a way of the instrument when you directly play it, it'll create a digital file uh, that you can manipulate already. So that's kind of um, I, I guess that's a good investment also for people that are you know um, that don't necessarily want to write staff you know want to get out their staff paper and, and and you know write their music in their head. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, if I'll and we'll I can talk more about like the technical aspect of writing music and stuff anyway, but. Uh, just to make sure I don't lose my train of thought. The thing about playing pieces on the piano, especially arrangements of video game music, is that very like you sit in front of the piano, literally all of the notes are there. About music, you know, it's like you've got all the chords, you've got it, et cetera, et cetera. Like you're literally just looking at it and you see like what you're doing. So I, I mean, I can think of one piece of music that I wrote that was basically riffing on different themes from like Mario. And I actually directly quoted like Super Mario Brothers 2 and I had a very subtle quote of Super Mario Brothers. But the reason that this piece of music was so easy for me to write is because my hands were like used to seeing certain patterns and my ears were used to seeing certain patterns and I was used to playing certain patterns. So then when it came time for me to reproduce these things, piece that I was writing it was actually extremely simple because I was just kind of mimicking things that I like already knew how to do really really well so and that kind of goes for I think viola playing to an extent I think it might be a little I think it might make more sense to be a violinist and a composer in some aspects but I'm just thinking like of how to play a melody and how melody that like makes sense and kind of does the things that I want to do, I think of myself playing the viola and I think of the way that my fingers move across the strings and like the elements of good melodic writing are self-evident if you want to improvise or even play a piece as a string player. Because they're like one thing, one concept about melody writing is the idea that a melody should be singable, like able to be sung easily. And if you're playing a piano, like you can run your fingers all over the keyboard and like dart from one end to another end and then write something that sounds totally stupid. But if you're playing violin or viola or cello or whatever, fingers only have so much agility. You're only going to be able to get so far away from like doing something sensible, if that makes any sense. Yeah, even if you're even if you're attempting to do, you know, like like two strings or, you know, triads at the same time, it's still basically one note at a time. You know, it's not this whole orchestra that the that the piano allows you to do. So uh, back to melodic, um, 
uh, melodic playing. Uh, you know, I, I saw the Mega Man piece uh, that you did. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, that piece? Uh, you know, as it comes to to melodies and writing melodies. Oh yeah, totally. So that piece. Um... That uh, and then you know what's the name of the piece? The name of the piece is the Battle Network, and that is available on my SoundCloud and my website or whatever. But that piece, a uh, little story about that one. It was actually a piece that I wrote for a class at Berkeley, and I don't remember what the prompt was in the class. But basically, what I did for that one was I decided that I wanted to write a piece of music in the style of the music from Mega Man Battle Network, and ironically. I went to do that, and then I realized that that was, didn't ring at all. So, you write like a melody, but you can't copyright a chord progression. So, keep that in mind. If it makes no sense to copyright chord progressions, that's a whole conversation. But anyway, I decided that I was going to rip off this Mega Man Battle Network thing for the chords. So, that's kind of the first thing that I did. Second thing is, you know, I wanted to write in the style of the Mega Man Battle Network track. So, I was using like accompaniment figures that sounded like they belonged in it and then you know original stuff and whatever but uh for that melody if we're talking about it melodically kind of shooting for with that one was simplicity like if it's like and then there's like a little echo from a different part in the background and then it's the same thing again like and then there's an echo in the background, and then the melody is a la da 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 da. Um. Yeah, that that was uh that sounded like a perfect rendition. I I thought I was listening to an instrument. Thanks. Um, but let me see. Okay. Part of what's difficult to describe about this is that a lot of, uh, at least melodic writing has gotten really intuitive for me. So it's difficult to kind of break down, but, um, so and, in general, and, and I mean, yeah. you do, you do, you know, with melodic write, uh, writing, you know, you did say about the, the way to be able to, to sing it again, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, it's instantly recognizable and, and singable. Um, do you do that a lot uh, with with your with your music? Do you sing it out first, or are you you know straight into the viola since you just feel so comfortable with it? I grown singing. A lot of the things that have been into my phone like a moron, and then figuring out what I just sang, and then writing the piece. <laughs> Um, so you have a bunch of uh, random uh, uh, sound notes on your phone. And many of them will never see the light of day, but it's fun to keep them. <laughs> uh, but let's see. Yeah, if, if, so, if you want to talk a little bit more about about those notes, like um, I, I think that's always really interesting. You know, how, how, did, how are you keeping these notes like? Do you just grab them at random? Are you are you starting to name them? Especially for for budding composers, you know they need to realize that you know inspiration can strike you at any moment. Yeah, that's definitely true, and I definitely do. Um, you know, I think to kind of categorize things and keep records of them, and I do have some ideas that I've actually like named and that I keep like in a folder somewhere. And I think you know one day I might look to that 
stuff for inspiration. But something that's been important for me to learn as a composer is that like, really let things go. Like it's okay to have an idea and then to completely forget it and then it just disappears into the ether. And the reason that's been important to me is like, I'm trying to, the faster that I can realize that something is not going to work, like the faster I can move to what is actually going to work. And that's really important because sometimes, you know, like the way that I describe my process of writing music is that I, and this is partially a joke, but it's partially not a joke, is that I like have an idea and then it's really bad. And then I have another idea and I think it's the best thing anyone has ever written ever. And then I try to make it into a piece of music and I realize that actually I'm the worst composer to ever live and this is never going to work. And then I go to sleep and then I wake up in the morning and I'm like, oh, you know what? This isn't as awful as I thought it was. Some stuff to it. And then I finish the piece and I actually love it. So like in the middle, there is a lot of like, these are not good ideas. And it's a lot more important to throw out a bad idea than it is to try to make a bad idea into a good one. I mean, if you think about it, you have a completely blank slate here, right? You have an empty file, kind of like an artist sitting in front of a blank canvas, right? If you start drawing things that are ugly, you need to know that they're ugly and start drawing like pretty things, if that makes sense. And because there are so many different, like you have literally infinite possibilities in front of you, like most of the first ideas you have are not gonna be good. So just let them go stuff that you know that you can make you know that's not that's pretty neat like i never made music before but just my experience with game design and even graphic design and web design it sounds like you might as well be talking about like if you're making a logo like just throw out your idea if it's not working if you're making a, another thing like it it feels super applicable to a lot of a lot of fields Yeah, I heard a lot of, and then the thing cut off again. Oh, no. <laughs> the, it's the same way I think artists work, uh, is what Livia was saying. That, uh, yeah. That, you know, you, you just put out stuff, and, and you try to iterate as quickly as you can. Yeah, and I always had this impression of making music as being, like, completely foreign, but it's kind of re refreshing to hear that it's pretty much the same underlying creative skills. It's just a technical part that's different. <laughs> yeah. And um, if anyone is interested, too, I am giving a talk later this month, which is a complete introduction to, like, music production from a technical standpoint. People... So when I think of someone like making graphics, I think of them sitting in front of like Photoshop, I mean not Photoshop, but sitting in front of a graphic design program and I have a vague knowledge of how that works. I realized that with audio, that vague knowledge is like not even there. So I'm gonna solve that with this talk that I'm giving. Interesting. Is it in Seattle? I don't know what the location is gonna be, but it's with um, IGDA. Okay. And then aside from that, if anyone has, if anyone is like interested, I do teach electronic music lessons, and um, this talk is actually adapted from the first lesson, so I can honestly just do this talk for anyone who wants to listen, really, at any time. 
Yeah, so the IGD of Seattle, they've been uh, streaming their talks lately, or at least recording them. And so maybe if it's being recorded, I'll post it around too. So speaking on that on that note of uh, you know you you wanting to teach, um, can you tell us a little bit about like some of the mentors that you've had and some of the people that you've met along the way? I, I know you you mentioned your programmer friend, and you know I think sometimes that's that's really good to find um, you know somebody like in your same caliber. But what about um, you know composers that you've looked up to or, or maybe musicians uh, that you've had direct contact with? I hope it didn't cut out. Oh, no. Did it cut out? Yes, probably did. Oh, you're muted. Oh, no, no he's, he was I'm muted. Here. I accidentally clicked the thing again, and then I guess I disconnected and then reconnected, but I didn't miss anything, which is weird. Anyway, uh, no, like I mentioned, I was at the University of Georgia, and then I transferred to the Berkeley College of Music. The thing about Berkeley is that it actually does have a... Video who teach in that minor are Duncan Watt, who has done. I feel bad. And then Michael Sweet, who's also done plenty of games. I don't remember those either. I'm just a bad student. But he did do the startup sound for the Xbox 360. So that's cool. Um, oh, those yeah. jingles. Uh, but, but they, you know, they have a ton of knowledge and. Actually, the first person you know in the industry that I really got to know because, yeah, obviously he was the professor. But then I took it upon myself to go to his office hours, and you know I was doing that maybe every at one at a, at a certain point I was doing that maybe every week, and then you know I wasn't able to go because of whatever blah blah blah. But and who kind of to the idea of I guess technical proficiency through like one exercise that he had me do. And he told me about audio middleware and like before we got to it in class and stuff like that. But the biggest thing that he did for me was introducing me to just the idea of networking and going out to events and et cetera, et cetera, which was really important because I, severely from social anxiety, um, I guess I usually say that I have social anxiety, but I honestly feel like it's starting to go away. But it was important for him to introduce me to that concept then because I was able to start going to networking events and getting comfortable and just being making this like a thing that I feel confident and able to do was really important. And going to these networking events is how I've gotten a number of different opportunities, like just from meeting people randomly, which I'm sure all of you have talked about extensively in various ways. Yeah. But um person that I really talked to, and then at Berkeley actually one of the earliest, one of the first classes that you take as a Berkeley student actually has an assignment where you reach out to different people to you and see if you can do like interviews, like interview them. So because of that, I actually, I was introduced to the idea of reaching out to people, which I think is so important because a lot of these people will like just kind of talk to you and it's not a big deal. And the sooner you learn that, honestly, the better. So, and through another class that had kind of a similar concept, I actually talked to kind of a large number of different people who are in the field and to different, like, to different extents. 
Um, people that jump to mind, though, are, for example, my friend James Landino. If you get harmonics for a little bit, and now he mainly freelances as a video game composer and a video game music DJ, essentially. Um, and he is on Twitter, and you can just talk to him, and he's really cool. I'm pretty sure uh, I he watched some of his music. Surprise. Um, and he went to Berkeley, actually, so I was able to talk to him while I was there. And then probably the other biggest person that comes to mind is Akash Takar. Um, if you guys know Akash, he was the sound designer on Hyperlight Drifter. And I actually met him because he Berkeley to speak, to do one, to like give a talk. And I realized that a lot of the authors that he was kind of recommending books, a lot of the people that he was recommending, like looking up and like reading and learning from, I realized that I had some of those people so i was like really inspired to talk to him and you know i reached out to him and got another interview and he was like hey move to seattle seattle's a great city that's not exactly what he said but that's kind of what he said so like akash is literally the reason that i live in seattle period um and i'm also in contact with um neil and i can't say his last name for the life of me neil acri neil acri i don't know i should really just ask him i'm sure i did and i forgot <laughs> He is a freelance composer, is really well affiliated with Blizzard, and he wrote the Overwatch victory theme and like music kinds of stuff. He's cool. Interestingly, is I actually got in contact with him through this thing called the Audio Mentoring Project, which is like this program that you can apply for. Let me look it up really quick. Basically, tell them what you're trying to do, whatever, whatever, and they will set you up like with a mentor who can like help you. So that's real good. So I definitely recommend taking a look into that. Um, I wish there was more programs like that. That sounds amazing. It's fantastic. Um, kind of the the short answer is like a ton of people. Uh, medium answer is like if there's someone that you want to talk to, honestly, just like just send them a tweet and just be like, Hey, I would like to talk to you. Like I am an aspiring whatever, or I'm a student or like, I think you're cool. And then they'll just kind of talk to you. Like, it's not, it's definitely not. I mean, it seems a little intimidating, but like, it's great. And you could email and just, you know, keep it short and sweet and just say like, Hey, I'd like to ask you some questions and you can pretty much reach out to anybody. Yeah, there's a concept out there. Some people call it informational interviews. Like you can just ask someone, especially if you're a student or something, say, hey, I would like to talk to you for so-and-so time. You can you can schedule a time with them and have like a call or you could just have basically just send messages back and forth over the course of a few days. Um, and that's a totally, yeah, that's a totally normal thing that some people do. I, not everyone will be familiar with the concept, so you might... Just saying the word informational interview might not be enough for some professionals to understand what you're talking about. But yeah, kind of like what you were saying. Yep, yep. Um, I also really like what you were saying earlier about how you had to get used to networking. Uh, that's something that I also had to go through. Like, I did not have social anxiety, but I was just really shy in general. Um, and there was definitely a period of time when I, after I moved to Seattle, like there are so many professional events in Seattle 
I just made it an effort to go to as many as I could. And it really was an effort. I was not going because I wanted to go. I was going because I felt like I should go. Uh, and then after, after attending a bunch of events, you gradually start seeing the same faces over and over again. And people actually get to know you. And eventually, there was one point, I don't remember when it was. It might have been like a year in when I realized like, hey, I'm going to this event just because I actually want to see the people there and I want to hang out with them, not because I, I'm like forcing myself to go anymore. And that was, that was basic progress <laughs> on my end. Uh, and so like that's, uh, that's also a normal thing. Like I'll, most people, I don't know if I know anyone who like just thrives in networking, uh, maybe super extroverts will. But literally, I feel like almost every single student I know ends up struggling with networking and being at least a little intimidated by it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, like... I, I don't uh, know if you've also had uh, some issues with... I'm sorry, sorry. Uh, issues with slip-ups of, of, you know, professional... When you're talking to a professional and, and you kind of, you know... Maybe you forget to you forget to email him, or you know he said, "Hey, follow up with me." You know how how do you deal with those? Mm. <laughs> oh, when when your contacts go dark. Oh, yes. sure, sure, sure. Well, actually, there was a little bit of cutout at the end there, and then I got confused. So you're saying when you forget to when like when I forget to get in touch with someone, how do I deal with like? Courage to get in touch with them again later, or are you saying when they are unresponsive, how do I like follow up? I think both. Yeah, let's just okay. do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let me see if I can answer that. Because the thing is, like these days, I'm much just say sorry I did doing. I'm more inclined to just kind of do something like that now, but like, I guess kind of getting over my own hangups about doing that, I guess it's like that I have realized is that like I'm busy and then everyone else is busy. And after a certain point, it's like when someone actually remembers to like contact me again, if they like have forgotten or if I haven't spoken to them in years or like whatever, like, I have the desire, like, I want to be in contact with people. I just, like, don't always live up to those expectations. And I think everyone kind of understands that after a certain point. So it isn't, I don't think it's as terrible to, like, and remember two or three later. I don't think that's as big of a sort of social faux pas as people kind of make it out to be. And then... If you do feel like someone is maybe giving you a little bit of a hard time about it, then, like, just, like, there are lots of people in the world, and there are plenty of people who aren't going to give you a hard time. So I feel like it's okay to just talk to someone else, honestly. Um, uh, as far as people going dark, it's kind of the same thing. Like... Sometimes people are just busy and then it takes like talking to them, you know, sending them like that. Uh, it takes that to get in touch with them again. I think Akash actually was telling me that there was someone that he wanted to be closer to. And I think he sent, I think he mentioned that he had sent him an email every month for a year before like really confidently hearing something back. 
And I think something else that Akash told me was that there are some professionals who are like fields. I think maybe he was talking about agents or something, but it's like kind of the golden rule is like, like do at least three times, then it's like they're not that serious about talking to you. And it's like you don't even have to worry about getting back to them. So following up is like, again, that's not that big of a deal. But if you do feel like you're trying to talk to someone like maybe, I don't know, 48 times over like four years and they're not answering, like maybe you don't even need to talk to them. Maybe it's not even that serious, you know? <laughs> yeah, and the other awkward moment is like when you meet someone at a conference and you want to talk to them, but you don't follow up until six plus months after the conference. That's something that ever, that happens to everybody, I feel. We all have the stack of, of, of cards that, you know, Oh yeah. You go through. And then I, you just forget. Yep. I honestly, I've started just throwing out my stacks. Like it's, it's okay. I'm not, I mean, I'm going to be fine. I can't, I get overwhelmed <laughs> by things socially sometimes. So, Oh, what is that noise? Hello? Oh, someone uh, dropped out. Ian left. But yeah, no, I get overwhelmed by things sometimes, and then it's just like, I just learn. I I just learn to let go. Honestly, I feel like that's kind of the easiest thing to say or do, because like you're not you're you're gonna be in the industry. You're gonna get there. Like no, think to uh, stress over. Yeah, no like, one's gonna give you the golden ticket. Um, you know, we're yeah. talking to them. I don't know if you've ever heard, there's this one podcast I follow that established some day in the middle of spring to be email debt forgiveness day, which is basically for that situation when you, when you've accidentally gone dark on someone and you feel like it's too late to respond, but you still don't want to not respond. And like, it just happens to everybody. It's universal. So it's good to just be understanding and patient with people. And also I think patient with yourself as well. You know, I think sometimes we get hung up on those things. But yeah. Cool. So, can, uh, John, I want to ask you about. Uh, so, you you talked a bit about networking in Seattle, um, and you mentioned the audio mentoring project. Uh, yeah. Link. Uh, Ian posted the link in the chat. I think that's the correct link, right? EC. I've forgotten where the audiomentoring.com. Maybe. Hold on. Yes, exactly. Have you ever uh, been part of the Game Audio Network Guild? The gang? I haven't. And, like, honestly, I don't know if I want to say this on record. I don't think it matters, though. <laughs> I've been I've collecting heard... mixed stories about that <laughs> lately. I was, that is exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say that I've heard mixed reviews about it. And it costs, it doesn't cost that much, but it has a cost, which is a deterrent for me. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I mean, I'd have to look into what programs are available through Gang. I feel like they do have like a GDC scholarship thing. The thing about it for me, though, is like the idea of a game audio network organization is really strange to me because I feel like the game is like fairly open and you can just kind of talk to people like that's kind of the feeling that I have about it especially in the modern era of social media 
actually, funnily enough, I'm on the game audio network. I'm on audiogang.org, the game audio network guild. And it's like, why should people join gang is the first picture. And then it's showing <laughs> pictures. And then it's showing pictures of these people. And I guess it's supposed to be like, oh, if you join gang, you'll be able to get to know these people. But I'm looking and it's like this person here i know these other two people it's like i've i've met these people and i feel like i can meet these people without being a part of like whatever this is no offense <laughs> so so I, I mean and i think the main reason uh for that is that um you know uh music audio especially like orchestral and and uh, very complex music for video games um has been how do i say like um, it's kind of anonymous, you know, it's like, I, I don't think I started talking about like super like into game composers till like um, I started playing Journey, for instance. Right. And and speaking a little bit on that, um, my question to you is, is um, so, you know, now that composers are, are, are becoming a, a little bit, um, you know, better known, uh and I, I think um, you know game companies are appreciating uh, the the craft of a of an audio person. Um, what do you think the industry should do uh, in order to get you know better audio people uh, to work with them? Especially because I'm imagining you've worked with a lot of great audio people. Mm. So, do you mean in terms of what should companies do to in in order to ensure the quality of the people that they're working with, or do you mean like what could developer do to like better attract the attention of more I guess and or responsible or whatever like audio people yeah so let's say uh, how did you uh, let's go with that how did you uh, how did you attract you know the the the, the talent uh, that's around you right now and uh, you know what were some of the things that you you started to put out there to say hey uh, you know because there's a bunch of composers but hey I'm a video game com composer so, let me see. Mm, let me think about that for a second. To kind of answer that question, because it's somewhere between, somewhere between like hard skills and soft skills. Like when I think of this, when I think of this question, or when I try to interpret this question, I the thing that I remember is um, the way that I got the way that I became affiliated with Rec Room. The way that I ended up working on it is because I was at a networking event and I met Terrence, and Terrence knows Akash, and then Terrence wanted to play pool, so we went. Well, I don't know if he wanted to play pool, but we went to this bar and then we played pool, and then Terrence, Terrence and Coleman. I like Coleman. Terrence and I like. Where we got along pretty well, and he was like, "Hey, I think my game needs like music people. You, like, you have a card or whatever." And I was like, "Yeah, here's my card." And then, you know, the creative director got my card, and then I met with him, and we like he looked at my demo reel, and I met with him, and then he liked what he saw, and then we started working together. But something that kind of struck me after that is that Terrence said, you know, Terrence was like, "Oh, you know, I gave him a number of cards, but like you're the only person that he got in touch with." So it's kind of like, I mean, I haven't had I haven't had a chance to talk to the creative director and ask him like why that is, or I haven't like specifically asked him about that. But when I think about it, you know, on my end, 
I'm thinking about like what things about me sort of stand out and what other people seem to stand out in the same way. And I'm thinking like, you know, I was hanging out with Terrence and having a good time and like just being like a person. I feel like sometimes composers or they are, they acknowledge how competitive the industry is and then they kind of respond to that by being in certain ways like there's you know the image of the person walking around the room just kind of handing out business cards having a shallow conversation and then like moving on with his life right like that is not something that i do and that is not something that the people that i become close to do so i would dare say that i've gotten to meet are some of the like some really really talented individuals right so there's kind of that and then there's like however my reel appeared in you know uh in contrast to other people's reels and that's kind of just like i think that aspect of it is a thing that we're pretty comfortable with at this stage you know it's just like work hard and learn to show your work in a way that is appealing and all of these kinds of things it's kind of thing that i don't even feel like i need to say to anyone right and then when i'm thinking about think about james landino and i think of his 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 entire presentation mostly on social media is like really appealing, really funny. I feel like it's a good is as a person. And then he also is an excellent like composer, right? So it's kind of like answer is work hard and like be good at what you do. But then at the same time, it's like you have to be able to relax in these social situations and like I feel kind of bad saying that because it can be really hard to relax in these social situations. But I guess you know, one of the things that I think Duncan said to me was like, networking is making friends. Like the more authentically you can be friends and be interested in people, like I think the better time that you're going to have. And key I think to doing that is just like knowing yourself and knowing what you like to talk about and knowing like what you like to do. You have to do things that you don't want to want to you to be authentic so that when you're with the people that resonate with you it's like you can build that good relationship and then i found that like the people that you can or at least the people that i've been able to build strong relationships with like also happen to be very talented like a relationship there i guess if i'm being honest that's interesting i've never thought about someone going to like network and they just have like Essentially, they have like a mask on when they need don't you to act like themselves. Interesting. Uh, I heard that's interesting, and then I heard. So, so people putting on a mask, you know, when when you know they they are clearly just trying to to get a conversation out of you. Yeah, but like the act of being yourself does like do a lot to, I guess, put yourself at ease and have more natural conversations and be more likely to actually form friendships with people and those lasting connections. Um, kind of something else that I would say too, actually, like a Neil Gaiman commencement speech, I think at the Art Academy is where it is. And I'll actually Google it and put it in the chat. But uh, it's, Neil, it's a commencement speech where he's talking about uh, working as an artist and whatever, right? And he 
in the like part of the speech is he says uh he talks about like oh a lot of people ask how to get work as an artist right and he says but number one like people get work however they get work and that's like all he says and i can talk about that in a second but he's like people get work however they get work people keep work like people will keep working with you because you're you deliver your whatever on time like they like you you're on time and your work is good you only have to do two out of three like if you're an asshole but your work is good and it's always on time then people will keep working with you uh if your work you know isn't as good but you're always on time and it's always a pleasure to hear from you then they'll keep working with you right and then if you are on time what is it if you're on time and you're a great person then it's like I think I did that one already. What is it? <laughs> oh, if you're a bit late, but the work is marvelous and you're a great person, then you're fine, right? Like, people about this, like I've tried to ask people about this and they're like, oh, I just kind of work on being all three, which is like great. Like definitely do, do that. But I have a lot of sense. You're a wonderful person and you're on time. Then I just, I feel like it's fine. Like that's good because it's so challenging to find sometimes it's really hard to find someone who can be like two out of three like it's easy to find someone who can do like one of those like well mm. like two feels like a godsend to me honestly <laughs> so i guess that's to say like feel like your work is up to whatever quality you want it to be like obviously keep working and do whatever you can to be better but like also realize that you're not just competing on skill, especially in an oversaturated industry. It's like there are a hundred people who are just as good, if not better than you, right? So like, think of yourself holistically, I would say. And I mean, you know, also a composer is, is you know, producing, you know, you're producing a hundred pieces in, you know, a year or, or whatever, you know, people usually usual work ethic is but you know people can produce a lot of music and a lot of sound effects you know one person can do a lot is there anything that you've done to get better at finishing stuff on time is it just a matter of experience and practice for a second actually oh did you not hear me oh no you said wait you uh, asked i heard uh is there anything that you've done to get better at finishing things on time? Yeah, to improve your speed. Um, well, actually, I personally don't work on improving speed as much as I work on having a good idea of how long something's going to take me, right? Because the most important thing is to do what you say you're going to do. If you say it's going to take three years and it takes three years, you're fine. If you say it's going to take one day and it takes one day, then you're fine like one day is then you have a problem right yeah i i've noticed the same thing with programming contracts if you know that you can do it in three days tell them you'll have it to them in five days finish early and then deliver on time or you can deliver early i guess if you want but i am not a fan of that because you want to set realistic expectations and then if you're always early and then you're not early they're going to feel like you're late like whatever so <laughs> yeah they're going to give you different time frames. So to me, the most important thing is 
understanding of how long it takes you to do things. That is definitely a matter of experience and practice. Um, like I mentioned, I went to Berkeley and I studied electronic music production and sound design or EPD, electronic production and design, that's the major. And then I minored in video game scoring, right? So I was doing a lot of assignments that involved writing music because, you know, that's what I want to do. The result, I've gotten a pretty good sense for how long it takes me to do things. Um, artist someone you're gonna learn that you need to add in time for revisions essentially right it's like you're gonna because you're not just gonna write the thing and then they're gonna take it and then they're gonna go and put it in the game you're gonna write the thing and then they're gonna tell you it's bad that's not true but they're gonna tell you to change it somehow and then you're gonna change it and then it's gonna be better and it's like a collaborative effort right so are giving someone an estimate of time you include time for iteration. adjustments yeah, yeah and working together yeah that's the word that's the word i need <laughs> but if you want to be faster like if you actually are concerned about being quicker let me see i let's see i don't even really think of being quicker I think of uh, or in less time, which yeah, really just means being up really late. Like <laughs> that is the easiest way to write a piece faster. But you know, I mean, you can. The more time you spend writing music and you know doing your art form or creating whatever you create, obviously you'll have like shortcuts to getting to the right things faster. Like I, for example, if I'm going to write a piece of music, agree to write a piece of music, or before I even consider myself like writing for a particular kind of project, I already have a mental note of what kinds of music I write more quickly and what kinds of music I have more experience writing and what kinds of music current set of software like lends itself to, right? So I know that if someone says, I want you to write this kind of music, like orchestra, well, what's a good example? Like if someone wants me to write dubstep, I've only ever written one dubstep piece and it took me quite a while. So I'm going to make sure that I tell them it's going to take me quite a while. If I tell them that, if I find that it's taking me longer than I want it to take, and I'm in that situation where I do need to speed up, so to speak, then I will calendar in whatever way that I can, like see if I can take some time off from the part-time job that I work or see if I can maybe stay up extra hours or whatever. Yeah, I also find that uh, like that experience in terms of programming, like years ago, someone asked me a similar question, how can I program faster? And it was in a, it was in a thread in my school's like Facebook page or Facebook group. And a bunch of people were posting things like, oh, use a mechanical keyboard. And they're like, right. copy paste all the time. Like all these really tiny things that only shave off a few seconds, if anything. And my, my response to that was uh, basically don't focus too much on like cutting corners or making, doing things faster, even though that does kind of help. It was more on making sure you're ready to focus like to do your best work so that right. you don't waste time um, and that means like having enough sleep 
scheduling enough time to even sit down and work on it and not have distractions. Uh, right. Drinking yeah. plenty of water. Yeah. <laughs> All that. Things definitely are included too. Like the, I feel kind of bad for saying to stay up late. I mean, don't stay up late, but it's, like it's the nuclear but option. If you have to, but if you have to, <laughs> yeah, it is You're definitely do it. a nuclear option. Like, uh, I, I guess I was trying to answer the question without saying, uh, you can't, I mean, there are ways. It's just like, none of them are very good. <laughs> yeah. And I also like how your, your answer is pretty much saying, this is all about the deadline with the client and to set expectations and all of that and to like defend your reputation. And so if you have to stay up late to do that, then it's viable. I think ideally you should not let it get to that, but yeah. Like, and there are, there are definitely composers who, who take on lots of work and then they make like the sacrifices necessary to, to accommodate that work. And that's an option, right? That's definitely something that you can do, but I am like, I don't think I'm going to enjoy my quality of life if I'm staying up all the time or if I'm stressed because I have like too many things that I need to do. And yeah, yeah that's kind of my thing. It's important to balance all those trade-offs and to be like, yes, you are cutting something over here, but it's going to have this cost down the line and you cannot afford to do this every single time, etc. Yeah. Neat. So we got like four minutes left. Any last questions, uh, Carlos, from your end? Ooh, ooh let's do, let's do a, a nice one on craft. Um, so, uh, my question would be, you know, video game music is, is kind of, you know, very, Oh, say, wait, start over. Yeah. So, yeah. So this is a, a question on craft. Um, video game music is, is difficult to write sometimes because of the constraints that you're given, um, you know, by clients, you know, where it says, you know, it has to be two minutes, uh, you have to do this and this and this. And, um, you know, unlike many other things where you're, you know, you're trying to match a feeling or you're trying to uh, match a, a scene and, and sometimes, you know, they'll cut up your, your work if it's, if it's really long. So for video games, um, you know, how do you, how do you deal with that, uh, you know, moment to moment of a client telling you, uh, you know, the, the technical, um, you know, the technical limitations that your music has to have? Has to have. Was that the last word? Yeah, yeah. has to have. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so, of a tricky one for me, but I will try to answer it. Um, and I say it's a bit tricky because, like, since I decided that I wanted to write game music when I was super young, like, literally the entire point of my music writing has been to, like, write it for games based on, like, the video game music that I grew up with, which was, you know, Sonic and Kirby and whatever. So, ironically, it's actually harder for me to write music that isn't for games than it is for me to write music for games. Because I, music, because, you know, it's, a, it's like a one, two, one and a half minute loop. I write short music. I have a tendency to think of my music as looping, so I'm not necessarily piece with a beginning, a middle, and an end like where it builds to a climax and all these things like that is less how I write music and how I think of music. So I have to work really hard to like 
get out of the video game music like thinking. Uh, that said, kind of gotten into this the way that I kind of work with these limitations. Uh, number one is that I think of it as a compositional challenge, right? Like, I've found a joy in working with these limitations, I guess I'll say. So like that is part of the artistic form for me. That makes it easier, I guess, kind of psychologically to wrap myself around this. So like if someone says, like if someone comes to me and then gives me like 18, okay, that's too many. If someone gives me like four or five things that this piece of music needs to do, then I am excited at that like standpoint, which I think is going to make the whole process like easier, right? And I think that's actually really important because music is, you know, it's a technical, it's kind of the combination of like technical and then artistic craft. I feel like as an artist, keep your brain in kind of a positive space and the more that you can see these as positive challenges, uh, kind of the better off you are. Like, I made that little joke about being, like, the worst composer in the world, like, every time I write anything. The fact that I'm able to joke about it makes this a lot easier to, like, accept. And, like, accepting it as part of the process then makes it easier for me to say, oh, I feel awful. That is uh, what is supposed to happen, and I'm just going to take a nap, and then I'm going to write this music. Like, mm. essentially morale and motivation going. And once... If you've got that taken care of, then you can kind of sit down and look at the more technical aspects of it. Like, it's some music for a rhythm game that's going to be coming out. And the, the, the programmer, the guy making the game, whatever, he told me that the piece of music needed to be 60 seconds long with five seconds of at the end he didn't use so 60 seconds long five seconds at the end and like but write whatever you want other than that and i was like okay that's you know because i know i said that i write short music but like just one minute of music the tricky thing about that is i could write like a bruno mars song and then it will if i took a bruno mars song and i just cut a minute like from the bruno mars song then it's gonna sound like I took a longer song and then I just cut a chunk out of it. Like that to me is artistically uninteresting. So I wanted to write a piece of music that sounds like it's only supposed to be one minute long. That is an artistic challenge. Nice. And like I came to that, oh, this is really fascinating. Like how can I do that? So I was feeling like positive. I was able to sit down, like, literally a piece of paper and I was like sketching like this is the way that I can structure this piece of music to make it sound like it's just supposed to be a minute long, right? And then, so I did that. Oh, I structured, I think the first thing I did was I came up with a structure. What I did first, either I came up with a structure or I started writing it. But the funny thing about starting to write it is that um, mathematically, uh, the way that you, if you're going to have a piece of music that is exactly one minute, there are a number of ways to like mathematically do that so that it sounds good when you get right to 60 seconds yeah point i needed to do that i don't remember if i had started writing before or after that but when it came time to look at the music from that aspect of it i was like okay how can i do this how can i do that 
And so I started writing it and writing it. I sent it back to him and he sent it back to me with a comment on it. And he was like, hey, can it be a little bit different at the end? My initial reaction, as is often my initial reaction, was that's a terrible idea. How dare you? <laughs> of course, then I got over myself and I actually tried it. Hey, that's a fantastic <laughs> you had that scene. Again, when he said the thing, I like had my whatever reaction, but it's again, it's part of like the challenge. So I was able to embrace it and try it and do it, and it was good. I've had the same experience as a programmer. Like I'm making prototypes with a client, and the client suggests like, "Can we do it this way?" And I'm like, "Does he not see that that's a terrible game design idea?" And then I make it, <laughs> and then I make it anyway. I'm like, "How? Oh, well, this is actually." Not bad. <laughs> this was actually pretty innovative. <laughs> yeah, I would say uh, embrace the challenge and then, you know, practice. Like, I think when I was 14 or 15, I was like, I want to write game. Well, when I was 13, I was like, I want to write game music. Then maybe like a year in or even a few months in, I was like, I need to learn how to make a loop because I don't know how. <laughs> and then I just practiced it until I got good at it. Cool. Looks like we're out of time. Thanks a lot, John, for joining us today. And thanks, Thank Carlos, so for much. asking all these questions. <laughs> By the way, John, I just want to say real quick that I am a violist. So, oh. yeah, I thought that was really funny. Nice. So long live the C-string uh, for anyone listening out there. <laughs> all right. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, we'll send you a link to the podcast when it goes up. It should be shortly. Also, uh, what's a good way to uh, to get a contact with you, uh, John? I I know it's posted somewhere, but my artist name is Slide Twenty XL S L I D E two zero X L. That is my email. So at gmail.com, Slide Twenty XL at gmail.com. My website is Slide Twenty XL dot com. My Twitter is at Slide Twenty XL. Lastly, just any any one of those is fine. Probably Twitter is actually the fastest way to get in touch with me, which is really interesting as well. And probably don't at me in the Discord because I don't know when I'll see that. <laughs> and also uh, keep in tune for uh, his IGDA talk as well. Yeah. I'll post doesn't some look, details about doesn't that. doesn't look like IGDA has posted it yet, but they will at some point. Uh. Yeah, I'll keep you up to date on that, and I will post that Neil Gaiman talk that I mentioned in the AMA channel. Oh, awesome. Thanks again. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Thanks. You too. See ya.